Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while you turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 22, I'm going to put 20 minutes on the timer. Well, with 20 minutes on the clock, we pick up where we left off quite a few weeks ago. David was on the run from King Saul. He had done nothing to deserve this. The paranoia, the jealousy, the sin of King Saul had driven him to a place where he had tried to have David killed multiple times, and so David had to flee. And the last time we were together, we saw how he fled, and he fled not to God. He fled actually uh, to the enemies of his people, and he realized, hey, there's no safety here. There's no safety among those who are against God. So he goes back to Israel. He gets his family uh, taken care of. His, uh, his close relatives are hidden away. And now it says in verse 6 of chapter 22 that Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered, and Saul was seated spear in hand under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing at his side. And he said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have conspired against me and no one tells me that my son has made a covenant with, Jesse, uh, with the son of Jesse? None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today? This is revisionist history. This is paranoia. This is gaslighting. Now, apparently it had come to light that David and Jonathan had made a, a covenant agreement and that Jonathan had said, hey, I know you're going to be king. And when you do become king, please do right by my family. And David says, yep, I'll do that. But the gaslighting here is this idea of you're all against me. You're all, you know, uh, David's not going to help you out. I'm going to help you out because it's all about himself. And it's about keeping his power and keeping his situation. Man, it reminds me of so many dysfunctional families that I've known or experienced or whatever. You know, this kind of, uh, you know, a little bit of the truth, a whole lot of not truth. And everything is built around keeping one person in the position and the, the influence that they want. Instead of having a relationship, hey, Jonathan, why have you done this? And, and Jonathan could say, Father. David's done nothing wrong. David's done nothing against you, yet you have multiple times tried to kill him. And God has taken the kingdom away from you because of your sin, John, uh, Saul. And he's given the kingdom to David. Instead of repenting, he rages. But Dog the Elamite, uh, Dog the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, the son of Hytub, at Nob, Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him and also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, the son of Atab, and all the men of his family who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king and Saul said, Listen, son of Ahitab. Yes, my lord, he answered. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring for God, of God for him? so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David? 
the king's son-in-law, the captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his family, for your servant knows nothing about this whole affair. So Ahimelech, as the high priest, is doing two things that I think are right and responsible. First is he's speaking truth to power. He's speaking truth to the king. And he is saying, hey, David is your most loyal servant. David has not done anything against you. That's truth to power. And at the same time, he's also saying, hey, we've, we've served David as priests just as we've served you as priests, just as we've served the people as priests. We've done what we were supposed to do. David came and David made reasonable requests and we did what we would have done. We don't know about your beef with him, but we did what we were supposed to do. Don't blame us for it. So he's doing the right thing. He's speaking truth to power. He's doing the reasonable thing, which he's trying to protect his family. And then the king said, verse 16, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they would not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. So they had a fear of God, these officials. Yes, they served the king, but they feared God. And they would not raise a hand against the priests of God. Now in our day, there are those pastors who have used this as a, um, used this as a, a teaching point to say that you should not speak out against leaders in the church that you should not raise your hand against leaders in the church, whether verbally or on blogs or podcasts or what have you. I do not believe that is a correct teaching. And I say that as a leader in the church. I say that as a pastor. If somebody is sinning, there should be conversation. In fact, I think one of the big problems is when there isn't public conversation. I know of churches where somebody didn't like somebody that, something that the pastor did, or there's a rumor going around that, you know, this thing happened or that thing happened, and so they gossip and they keep things quiet. Nothing's ever talked about directly or publicly. And then they leave and they go to another church and they keep circling that thing. And have you heard what's going on? In fact, this happened. There was a church in another town in the area, and I had heard some things were going on over there, and, and, and you know, I was like, well, okay, that, that doesn't sound good. And then I I kind of got the inside track from somebody about what was really going on. I was like, oh, okay. But as it circled and it circled and it circled, somebody in this community said, have you heard what's going on over there? Because the gossip had spread. The gossip had spread. I don't think that this verse, where they wouldn't raise their hand against the priest, is a teaching to not ever call out a church leader who's doing something questionable. I just think it needs to be done correctly and publicly instead of, you know, kind of uh, backbiting and, and, you know, secret back conversations. There are, there are leaders who should be called out. There are people who do things that aren't right. That was not the case, however, with this high priest. And even if he had done something wrong, there's a right way to go about dealing with it. 
And so these officials, even though they were you know, servants of the king, they would not raise their hand to him. So then the king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priest. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck him down. And that day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, that is Levitical priests. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priest, with its men and women and its children, its infants, its cattle and its donkeys and its sheep. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahab, the son of Abathar, escaped and fled to join David. And he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And then David said to Abathar, That day when Doeg the Elamite was there, I knew for sure that he would tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. Now, was David really responsible for the death of all those priests in the town of Nob? No. He felt responsibility because he saw Doeg the Edomite there and he kind of like, oh, I think that's going to go bad. And he feels like I should have warned the priest. Maybe he's feeling guilty. It's not his fault. He did not do the murders. There's a lot of people that feel guilty about a lot of stuff that's not their fault. Doeg, the Edomite, raised his hand against the priest because he wasn't of Israel. And that's, that's not a racial thing. It's a spiritual thing. He, culturally, he just didn't care. He had no, he had no uh, concern of the things of God because he w- wasn't a follower of God. When you turn for help outside of the church, I, I, I'll say this so carefully because I know that there are churches that are toxic. I know there are situations that have been horrible. I know that, I know that, I know that. And all of that being said, I have not found safety outside of the church. You think you've been hurt in the church, I'll show you my scars. I'm still here. And safety was found for this son of the priest with David. And when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Kela and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered, go and attack the Philistines and save Kela, which was a, a town in Israel. And so he did. And David's men said to him, Here in Judah we are afraid. How much more than if we go to Cala against the Philistine forces? So what they're saying is, Hey, David, we're hiding. We're hiding here in Judah from the king. And now you want us to go fight the Philistines? We don't have the army. We don't have all the forces. And once again, David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, Go down to Cala, for I am going to give the Philistines in your hand. So David and his men went to Cala and fought the Philistines and carried off their livestock. And he inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Cala. Now Abathiah, son of Ahimelech, had brought the ephod down with him when he fled to David at Cala. Now, why is that in there? What it's showing is Saul in his effort to keep power, has not only attacked David and attacked others, but he's actually stood against the order that God had established in his effort to keep power. And now the priests are with David. And David's not only with the priests, but he's with the people. See, Saul's trying to keep power. And and David's men are like, hey, do we really want to lose? But David's actually saying, hey, we... I know we're hiding. I know that my life's in danger. But he feels a responsibility towards the people. And so he goes and he saves these people of the city. And he has a great victory because God is with him. And Saul was told that David had gone to Calah. You notice that Saul didn't go. Saul didn't go rescue his people. Saul didn't go defend his people. 
And he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering the town with gates and bars. And Saul called up all his forces for battle to go down to Caleb to besiege David and his men. So he doesn't go down to save his own people. He goes down to attack his enemy. And when David learned that Saul was plotting against him, he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephod. And David said, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has definitely uh, has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Cala and destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Cala surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. And David asked, will the citizens surrender me and my men to Saul? And he said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Cala and kept moving from place to place. And when Saul told that David had escaped from Cala, he did not go to there. That's interesting. Saul didn't come to save them. David did. But God's like, hey, David, you got to get out of here because they're going to hand you over to Saul. Mm. Something there. So they move about from place to place, and because they left, Saul doesn't go to the city. Verse 18, David stayed in the wilderness, strongholds in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Do not be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David went home. Or Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh on the hills of Hilkai, south of Jeshuman? Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. And Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information and find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. And they tell me he is very crafty. Find out about all his hiding places he uses and come back with definite information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the area, I will track him down among the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Manon, in the Arabah, south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Manon. And when Saul heard this, he went to the desert of Manon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. So it's like a comedy of errors. You know, Saul's on one side looking for David, and David and his men are on the other side of the mountain, and Saul can't see him, but apparently David, one of David's men at least kind of saw what was going on. Then a messenger came to Saul saying, Come quickly, the Philistines are raiding the land, and Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went and met the Philistines. And this is why they call the place Selah Hamalekoth. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, uh, Selah Hamalekoth means rock of parting. So it's kind of a, a play on words or a joke. You know, the Israelites are like, hey, this is where Saul tried to get uh, David. But, you know, he was on one side looking and David was on the other side running. So it's a bit of a joke. Uh, but the idea was that God was with David there and protecting him. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 young, able men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, a crag is, of course, this rocky kind of cliff. Uh, if you ever travel I-5 north, um, 
kind of north of Redding in the Mount Shasta area. There are some crags there that are pretty well known, and you can see them for a minute off the freeway. Um, and in Getty is this deserty area. There's a lot of what we would call like box canyons or ravines. I think the closest thing you could think of is like Bryce or uh, Zion, some of these uh, places in Utah. Uh, deserts, lots of canyons. Uh, maybe there's a, a creek here or there. That's why he's hiding out there because you can hide, but there's also water. It's a very desolate, remote place. He came to the sheep's pen along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went to relieve himself. So they're traveling there, and Saul has to go to the bathroom, so he goes into this cave to go to the bathroom and have a little privacy. And David and his men were far back in the cave. So David and his men are hiding in the back of this cave. They're thinking, okay, Saul will just pass us by, but then they stop. And then Saul and a couple of his guys come to the entrance of the cave, and then only Saul keeps going in, and Saul's there going to the bathroom. <clears throat> and the men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give the enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. So, basically the men are telling him, David, Saul is coming in here alone. His guards are at the entrance of the cave so nobody can get in, but they don't know we're already there. And he's going to come in and you can kill him. You can do it right now. Just creep up behind him with the knife and take him out. And you will be king. So David creeps up. And we aren't told at what point he decided to do what. But he, he doesn't kill Saul. He just cuts off a piece of his robe. Maybe Saul had you know, discarded it. I mean, you know, without getting too graphic, you're, you're, if you've never gone to the bathroom outside in this sort of remote primitive situation, there's, there's nothing um, particularly like pleasant or that's not embarrassing about the whole situation. So it's very possible that he had a, like a, a robe, some kind of kingly robe that he had set on a rock somewhere and then he's going over to do his business. And David goes over to where the robe was set and he just cuts a piece off. Afterwards, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. The Lord's anointed or lay a hand on him for he is anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. So David gets back. And maybe what it is is that he cut off a piece of his robe as like a trophy. And then he's going to go, hey, that, I found Saul, go kill him. But on the way back, his conscience hits him. He says, I can't do this thing. He's, he's basically saying, God made Saul king. God took the kingdom away from Saul, but he didn't give it to me to take the kingdom for myself. If I'm going to become king, it's going to be through the hand of God, not through me killing Saul. And then David went out of the cave and called to, the Saul, my, called to Saul, my lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered, in you, delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look. And remember, Saul is his father-in-law. Look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. He's saying, hey, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me to take down my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but by my hand will not touch you. 
As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. What he's saying is, what you're doing is evil, but I'm going to prove my worth by not doing an evil thing. And when David finished saying this, Saul said, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just told now, now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul, and Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Our time's coming to an end, but I want to close with this thought. Many have used these verses, do not touch the Lord's anointed as a system of control, as a way to cover up abuse, as a way to, to excuse immoral, sinful, hurtful, predatory behavior in the church. And I do not believe that this verse or these verses talk about that. And I know I'm going to go a little long here, but it's worth talking about. These are not verses to be used to keep from exposing sin or protecting people from those in positions of power who misuse and abuse their authority. And at the same time, I believe in what David said. I I do. I do believe in what David said, that it's not, harm wasn't going to come from him. And notice that David doesn't just say, it's okay, Saul, you're, you're good. He says, you're trying to kill me. He says, I haven't done anything wrong, but you are acting wickedly. These verses, if anything, show us that we should speak truth to power, show us that we should expose sin in the church, show us that we should stand up against evil when evil is present. And I thank God for the strength and the courage of victims and survivors, ministries in far and wide from Ravi Zacharias to Hillsong to Mars Hill to churches and ministries that you've never heard of, who have stood up and said, no more, this is not okay. And I praise God for them. Well, now we are at the end, more than the end of our time. I want to say thank you for letting me go a little long because I thought it was worth talking about. This has been another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Facebook, and our website. You can find all of Faith on Hill's podcasts and all of those platforms. And you can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. We gather together Sunday mornings in person and online at 10.30 a.m. God bless you, and we'll see you for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study.